0: How's it going? Oh, it's good. Just, uh, kind of sick today,
1: but that's fine. I've just been trying to, like, relax my body and, like, feel better. It's been really, really sunny and warm here, actually. I think that's, that's like, incredible. It was, like, 24 the other day. Oh, my um, gosh.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know. Usually summer, like, doesn't start this soon, but it's, like, been really, really pleasant. And also, I just, I like rain, so when it does rain, it's nice to me, um... Yeah, I
0: don't, I didn't really like Montreal weather. We can start if you'd like. Sure.
1: Okay, Um, cool. Well, hi, I am Olivia. I recently graduated from McGill with my masters in a degree that I didn't really like, but I'm glad I finished it. I grew up with a chronically ill mother and a sister who was autistic, but not yet diagnosed. And as I was growing up, like, my mother's chronic illness was largely hidden from me and my siblings. And I didn't really know anything about disability until I became chronically ill as well into my mid-twenties. So I guess I grew up around disability, but I didn't really understand understand it until, like, really recently. And becoming disabled definitely influenced my work and changed how I wanted to serve my community. And my research into fan fiction and fan spaces naturally came out of my disability work because I was mainly interested in accessible content and accessible communities. Uh, that said, I was looking for a way out of the institution while still being inside of it. And I really, <laughs> I don't know, I, I spent more time trying to think about how I could work outside of the inst- institution while still being credited with a degree than actually being physically or mentally on campus. By the time I had to propose something for my master's thesis, I was like pretty tired of paper formats and wanted a text that so could go like live and move beyond the university. Uh, and I also, like I said, wanted to move, make something that was more accessible to a non-academic audience. That was like really important to me to work towards deinstitutionalizing my knowledge and language, which is something I like hadn't ever really thought about in my undergrad because you're just in like constant like training mode, like learn how to talk like you're in an institution. And then I also knew that I wanted to make something for a YouTube audience and uh, to allow people to access my film for free and to watch and to match the community medium-wise that I was directly talking about. Because so I didn't want to talk about a community and then just kind of like extract everything and not like live and spend time there. Like I had to put up quite a fight with my department to push a movie past them, since it didn't really follow an understood scholarly format. Uh, But eventually I did get it approved after agreeing to write a short companion paper to the film, which was like really, really annoying. Um, And I hated writing that paper, but I guess I'm like glad it's also made its way into existence. Although I think my film will reach a lot more people. I can't actually remember very well how I came upon the decision to animate the film. I think it initially started out as a simple desire to reenact one of the first uh, disabled fanfics that I've read. Um, And I think this was even before I switched my thesis topic from disability in science fiction to disability in fanfiction. The medium was perfect for a film on fanfiction, I think, since the 3D community I was using and the program I was was using seemed to be uh, comprised of other amateur animators that closely paralleled the skill level and aesthetic of fanfiction. So, yeah, all of these things kind of came together, and I just kind of, like, started watching tutorials and tinkering away, and then it eventually turned into a thesis film.
0: There was also one point in the the film that I found in the animation, like there's a character in a wheelchair and another character pushing them and you stop and you say that the character like the wheelchair that's present in the animation isn't actually like the one that the character would be using. Um, do you know which moment I'm talking about? Yes, I do.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, that's
0: one
1: of the that's that's actually the fan fiction that started me into this whole area that's the one that i read first a twilight fan fiction written by a woman at at the time a girl with cerebral palsy um and she is in love with bella swan so basically she just writes the story for herself where she writes her character into um forks high school and then sets it up so she meets Bella Swan, and then they fall in love. And there's some like tension because Bella is currently with Edward. From the information that I gleaned from the story, she sometimes uses forearm crutches and sometimes she uses a wheelchair. And she doesn't use a like a manual pushing wheelchair, she uses a power chair. But I couldn't find any 3D like assets for my program that were power chairs. I could only find, like, scooters or, like, push wheelchairs, like hospital wheelchairs, um, which I thought was really interesting that there was, like, because there was, like, a whole other subset of, like, kind of strange fetishy disabled items available in this community. Okay. So that's kind of why I had to, like, insert that little narrational note being, like, this wheelchair is not accurate, um, she wouldn't be using this, but it's all I could do (laughs) with my skill and my time and my labor, uh, for now. I did learn animation for this project and I had never, before this, touched, like, any kind of animation software up until this point and I had never... Uh, made a film either (laughs) and now that I look back at my first attempts at the stuff I did make after watching tutorials online I find it like hilarious and as I continued making the film I did get a lot better so there are entire sections of the film that I made when I really didn't know anything and other sections where I felt more comfortable with the program I was working in
0: but I also felt
1: like the inconsistency was actually like good and, and was like working towards my aesthetic and um, matching the material that I wasn't directly engaging with. Like I experimented first with Daz3D and then I moved on to Poser since it was a better program for animating and Daz3D is more for people who like making still images and like comics um, and it's often like really pornographic. (laughs) Um, It's really, really bizarre Um, (laughs) and an interesting community. And anyways, I just wanted everything to be really amateur and at times derivative in order to align myself more authentically with like Spanish practices. Um, and I was committed to being an amateur, and it gave me a lot uh, more freedom to kind of keep things that were a bit off rather than like reworking them and and trying to make them look cleaner than than it would look um, in that community. So with Poser. It was also relatively user friendly so I could learn how to use it with no previous experience, which was important. And it also had a rather lively community that offered free tech support and things like free three D assets, which again made this a viable program to use. So now I have this like huge personal library of three D assets and there's like I have different kinds of beds and like pairs of jeans and like T shirts. Like I own more three D assets in like than I do in real life. And I have like ships from Star Trek, and there's like an alien from the film Alien, and there's like Harry Potter like stuff, and like cloaks and wands, um, and all of this stuff is made by other community members, uh, which is really was really fascinating to me before, and I hadn't ever encountered that sort of like free, like entirely free, like happy for people to use their labor, their their stuff in their own kind of like uh animations and still images so like you have this like base figure and there's like morphs that you can apply Ah, so you can like change how their facial structure looks and like their breast size and like their like waist size and like stuff like that even like toenail length you can change on some figures so a lot of people offer like free mods um so you can like type in like a popular celebrity like Signorini Weaver I can never pronounce her name and like someone will make her because there's a lot of like alien fans in this french in this like community all of this labor like the spanish labor is like all unpaid um, and as i was reading more about like fan fiction a lot of fanfic scholars were kind of talking about how this is a labor of love and um, i think these fan communities kind of have this established history of utilizing non-hierarchical models of information sharing and knowledge acquisition and artistic practices. And they're horizontal, communal, and collaborative. Um, And it's like, yeah, so (laughs) the fanfic community itself is made up of different members, like content producers and moderators and beta reviewers. And they're all kind of like collectively doing a ton of work. Um, And it's the same thing in kind of like the 3D community. Like some people like, were really bad like they didn't have any good ideas for in their animations but they just knew how to like tech support someone and so they'd create these like really long tutorials about how to create fog (laughs) like a fog like mist in like a photograph or an animation in the program Um, but they didn't really make anything beyond those kind of tutorials which were really
0: helpful though.
1: film was part of my academic labor. So I've been paid in academic standing, which is like a form of social currency. Uh, So I guess I like invested into the professional arena. Uh, And then I did have to purchase equipment, like a computer that could handle rendering animations. I started in January of last year with zero experience, as I said, and finished the film in that May, like last May or so. And I was still like completely an amateur. And I worked every day on it, often for eight hours a day. Um, And it would take my computer about an hour to render out 60 frames, which is like two seconds of animation, which really stretched the project out for me because it's a 40-minute film. (laughs) Um, And that part was really frustrating because it kind of limited how long I could work on an actual particular scene. Sarah Ahmed, who my friends are tired of me talking about by now, has like a really good quote. She's discussing her life before finding feminism and states that she, quote, would have liked to know there were other ways of living, of being, end quote. Um, and when I read this, I was just thinking about how I too would have loved to have known this, these other ways of being. And I think fan fiction is all, all about this trying to imagine how things could play out differently in a particular fan universe. And a lot of fanfic explores this thing called shipping, which is essentially pairing characters up into non-canonical relationships and seeing how things play out from there. So like, a, like I, for those who aren't familiar, like a popular ship is Draco, Malfoy, and Harry Potter. Uh, and a lot of these ships are slash or same-sex pairings. Like things get really clear in fanfiction. And anyways, I was more interested in disability fanfic, disabled non-canon characters making appearances in different fan universes and seeing what kind of happened from there. And the nice thing about fanfics is that readers review or comment on each chapter as the story is being built and rev- revised since fanfiction is serial and in installments, like usually anyways. And... So as I'm going through the fanfic, fanfictions I was reading, I spent like more time in the comment section kind of like reading how other members were responding to disability representation. And uh, what I found was that a lot of the people commenting were also disabled and were really happy to find a character that finally resembled them in some way. And some reviewers had other disabilities and made requests for the fanfic writer to write a character like them offering tips about how their bodies work so they could get their disability right. And others weren't disabled but wanted to learn more about disability and had a lot of questions. And like usually the fanfic authors that I was that I was like spending the most time reading, they're like very happy to like respond actively to all of these questions and comments like later on. Disabled fanfics written by non-disabled authors were <laughs> When Like, when I did find those ones, they were usually really awful to get through and didn't really make any sense at all, like, in one of them, because I was reading a lot of um, disabled Twilight, specifically, because I kind of just wanted to choose one fandom to focus on rather than kind of getting confused um, and, like, just all over the place thinking about other fandoms. So, there's one where Bella's in a wheelchair, she's a wheelchair user, and she goes up some stairs in, in one of the fanfics I was reading, and like reviewers were quick to point out that this was like an inconsistency. <laughs> They're like, wait, but she's in a wheelchair. It was just clear that the writer had no imagination for how different bodies might move around their own world, uh, and it was clear that they had never known or probably even talked to another disabled person before. And I also found that some disabilities were more popular than others. like fanfics were more likely to feature a character who was autistic or deaf or a wheelchair user. And it was very hard to find other kind of disabilities being represented like diabetes or lupus or Parkinson's. A few months ago, um, my previous roommate asked me if there was an acronym for disability like, um, like we have for LGBTQ++++ and you know disability rights movements have a different history from lgbtq plus movements but they also of course intersect and i thought this was like a really good question and one that i'd never thought about before but i've thought a lot about since then and you know dis- our disabled future is still forming not to suggest that the like the lgbtq plus community isn't still forming and growing either but In the States, there's something like the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, Act, and it's been expanding its definitions of disability since it came into being, which was in 1990. Canada still doesn't have one, and hopefully we'll have one soon. Um, But it seems like most disability rights movements have initially been centered around visible disabilities, like wheelchair users, to kind of connect to maybe the last question and the last point um, about representation and so non-visible disabilities have kind of been left out in not only policy making but also in the disability community itself. So I think like people with non-visible disabilities are often met with discrimination or suspicion since they fail to present as disabled or disabled enough to claim access to benefits or accommodations. And this failure kind of puts them in a sticky situation where they're often under constant surveillance and have to demonstrate or convince others that their impairments exist. So like for instance, um, my mom, who very much presented as non-disabled, she had like a disabled parking pass. And she would get harassed for this like constantly because people just didn't think that she had a disability that would warrant her to have a closer parking space to a store. Um, and this is, like, something that she had to deal with, like, every day, um, which is, like, troublesome because it makes going outside of her house even more difficult than it was already for her, and even, like, more alienating, um, and then it's also exhausting because you don't want to tell everyone that you meet in public, like, what your chronic illness is. (laughs) You just like to have, like, a normal conversation about anything else, (laughs) basically, Um, yeah, but I, you know, like, I think these things are kind of hopefully changing right now and people are becoming more in tune to non-visible disabilities and are more welcoming of them, um, at least. And in my own disability work, going back to kind of like the disabled possibility of a disabled acronym, um, I usually include the following groups when talking about the community. So I put like, if I do like a call out for something, I put like disabled, chronically ill deaf, hard of hearing, fat, mad, and neurodivergent, um, and I think, like, maybe it would make, like, making an acronym out of this would be a bit weird, and also wouldn't necessarily work since we also have, like, different histories and movements. misunderstanding about what disability is and a lot of bad movies are coming out of Hollywood that either erase disability from the narrative or like kill disability off entirely I'm trying to think of like some films like me before you it was like a really bad one that I avoided um, but I watched a lot of reviews from other disabled people who were just like upset that something like this could happen um, in the mainstream and, uh, yeah, just when, I guess, when these movies come out, it just is apparent that disability just doesn't fit anywhere for them, or, and it doesn't fit anywhere, like, in a good way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, this, disability just, like, it's never given a good future in the media, I feel. People just need to start talking to people with disabilities and like mm-hmm. hiring them and prioritizing them and putting them like in front between or behind the scenes like wherever they're most comfortable um even just thinking about reading that fan fiction i mentioned at the beginning with the girl with cerebral palsy i mean because like my disability is very different from cerebral palsy and like my body doesn't move around the world like that so it's really interesting to like kind of see like what she has to do and also how that informs her own sexuality because this fan fiction is, like, super hot (laughs) and erotic. It's nice because, like, encountering other disabilities, like, I think about things in so many different ways and I kind of, like, that influences how I do things or, like, think of, like, also helping my own body do things. Because I have chronic pain all the time, I was thinking about how my chronic pain could then be kind of like sexy <laughs> in this instance. Whereas she she has like straps that hold her legs in place when she's using a wheelchair, and then like Bella Swan is like helping stabilize her as she goes up the stairs um, without any sort of other medical equipment as assistance. And, like, the way that she wrote about it and the kind of, like, physical and emotional pleasure she got about it, out of it was, like, really, really sexy to me and, like, made me feel, like, less bad about how my own body works. I mean, it was just, I think, one of the lines that Cass said was, like, you don't have to do so much imagining mm. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> You can finally kind of just relax and like feel turned on by this body that looks like yours um, and derive, you know, whatever pleasure you get out of that interaction with the fan fiction. Um, And it's just nice because then maybe others reading that too can realize that they can interact with those types of bodies and feel desire for them and like a healthy desire.
0: And how did you actually end up finding uh, the individuals who you interviewed for the documentary?
1: Okay, well, I first tracked down one of the authors of a fanfic. Um, well, the ah. one that I keep on talking about. Yeah, wow. <laughs> the 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 cerebral palsy, Effie, um, Bella Swan slash fanfic. And um, yeah, this was... Uh, actually, it was actually really difficult because to find her like actual contact because her fanfiction.net account provided a link to an older account where I helped I, I hoped to, to find more contact info, and then I sent her private message to both accounts and waited and didn't hear anything back because I expected that she no longer used those accounts because the story was like a decade old, and then I went back to her profile one day and found her YouTube account. Which then um, had her email, and then I emailed her <laughs> um, and then she responded that day and was interested in participating because this was like yeah, the very, very beginnings of the film. It eventually didn't work out that um i would interview her because i couldn't find the money to fly to california which is where she is right now she's working in hollywood actually in um i think she's doing script writing and some sort of filmmaking so it's really cool because i think that her writing fan fiction actually kind of like directly led her into the vocation that she wanted to do so after finding her and then deciding that that couldn't work Um, I did some Googling and came across, uh, the two, two scholars working in disability and fan fiction, and they lived in Toronto and other ones. They're the ones in my film who are sitting beside each other, their roommates, incidentally. Um, and so I emailed them and then I made a crazy amount of Craigslist posts in both the States and Canada to find at least one more participant. I also joined about like 20 fanfic groups on Facebook. And this actual this the Facebook group thing was like a total gatekeeping nightmare I found because like the moderators were super controlling and had strict rules, and like everyone was suspicious of me coming into these Facebook groups, like asking for people to just talk about like if they wrote disabled characters in fan fiction there was like no one there who was actually interested in writing about disability uh, i found um or like if they did write it, but about disability they were like writing really ableistic fanfics um and then eventually i got one response to a craigslist post uh that i'd made in new york and then um the two scholars also signed on by this point It took me a lot just to find three people who were, like, equipped to talk about the subject. (laughs) Wow. Um, And then after finding them, I had to undergo a whole ethics uh, review process, which I think everyone should undergo in their own research, especially when working with, like, marginalized communities. And I think uh, I'd say what I learned most is that... um, you know, I was actually like I was like at this point, I was desperately trying to find my own disabled community and I didn't really know anyone else who was disabled at that time and was unsure about my own position to speak about disability and disabled experiences. This was kind of just in the point in my own health where I was kind of like coming into just accepting that I was chronically ill, but I was trying to kind of more convince myself that I wasn't disabled at this point. And after, you know, meeting these people and talking to them and having them involved in the process of my thesis, um, they really helped me, help ground me and continue my work and growth in this area. And some of them, like they're, I think they, they're all like my close friends now and I have a lot more disabled close friends and I'm just like happy to know them and I think like working on this film kind of helped get me there. I think, like with fanfiction, because they get a lot of hate, um, they're kind of suspicious of people coming into their community to talk about them, um, and they want to make sure they're represented right. So I can understand like the the strict mods and everything, but I, I I expected it to be a bit more welcoming than it was. I had to like private message the mods to get their pre-approval and then I had to like state in the post that it was pre-approved by the mod and that it could exist in that page and like this and that and then I like talked to some people who were possibly interested in like private messaging again and like trying to learn a bit more about them and why they were writing disabled characters but then realizing like it was like not for good reasons or they weren't like putting in the right amount of work to understand disability and then then I kind of weighed like could it be interesting if I interviewed one of these people and then deciding it was probably not suitable for my film Mm. yeah
0: or for your time
1: So uh, disabled academic uh, Lori Erickson, who I talk about in my film a bit too, uh, on her Facebook page she recently came up with like a really good term for people who openly stare or gawk at her that highlights a complicated intersection between sexual citizenship and disabled citizenship. The term her and her friend um, coined is uh, gawk block, which explains a scenario where a stranger was staring at Erickson who is visibly disabled in public, and her friend placed themselves in front of Erickson and gawked back. So gawk block of course sounds very close to cock block, (laughs) but in this case it isn't a sexual encounter, rather it's an encounter that happens all the time to people with visible disabilities and they don't really have a choice in the matter when they leave their home, like they just get openly gawked at. Uh, but I thought this was really exciting as like a new interaction, the Goth Walk, because it kind of offered a helpful and playful disruption between the person openly staring and, and the person being stared at. talk more about Erickson, she's really cool because she set up um, She's an American living in Toronto with, without Canadian health care, so I believe, so she, she's had to set up like a community collective of volunteers to provide her with care around the clock, and she's very resourceful, um, but unfortunately this resourcefulness is, is, is absorbed by the precarity of her citizenship and healthcare status, um, and she also talks a lot about the need for more disability resources and better pol- policies in place so that dis- disabled people can live and fuck and live fully is her is one of her lines um and actually she's like a i think like around i'm not 10 years ago maybe 10 years ago she made a like a really hot porno and i ended up getting in contact with her because i just love finding people's emails apparently and (laughs) i bought two of her dvds and i gave one of them to my supervisor um which was great to give my supervisor porn. With sexual sexual citizenship, it's often not factored into living costs for disabled people or government benefits. And if it is somehow, it becomes like a really radical issue. um, If money is spent at all in the area of sexual health or sexual rights, Like, usually, if you're disabled, you expect your finances to go towards, like, medical equipment or personal support workers or medication, not sex toys or sexual partners or sex workers and so on. Um, Although they do give you discounted bus passes if you're on disabled benefits in Canada. (laughs) So you can... Transportation's fine. Okay. Sex stuff. Disabled bodies carry around this history of stigma and control and sexual gatekeeping and their bodies are medicalized or fetishized or seen as unsexy, inappropriate, gross, too much or just like unknown about how their bodies work, let alone sexually. Um, and I think like when it comes down to is really is that disabled people are just not afforded the same choices as non-disabled people. And they have to do things differently, which isn't always bad, but it can be exhausting. And these things aren't often seen or even recognized as valuable to non-disabled people. Um, But yeah, anyways, it'd be great to have more sexual agency and expression and choice of partners and have sexual health be seen as important. But everyone should check out Lori Erickson's um, porno, like of course, like she's having really hot sex uh, in some scenes, but then it also show, shows scenes of her in her home where her friends are, you know, just helping her go to the washroom, and like Lori's on the toilet and like the friend is there, kind of like passing her toilet paper and they're laughing, and there's a cat and they're petting the cat, and <laughs> and then there's a scene where. Lori is just getting on a bus in her wheelchair and, like, the ramp goes down and, like, she's getting a coffee and and it goes back to her having sex. And, like, it's kind of, it was really nice to see her, like, having a full life.
0: Yeah. It
1: wasn't just about, like, having sex. It was just about, like, her whole entire being in that film, Um, which in turn made everything more sexy because it was very intimate.
0: Um, It sounds very tender,
1: Yeah, but also, like, I think she's into some rough stuff. (laughs) so the Mary Sue, for those who aren't familiar with her, is either a canon or original character, which is OC, written into a pre-existing universe and often acts as a stand-in for the author. And she is usually perfect to the point of being entirely unbelievable, and is usually seen as an act of bad writing or poor character design. Um, but I never really liked seeing Mary that way. <laughs> um, I think she is something else entirely so fans write themselves into stories that have left them out of canon, which is why I think that Mary is important. As it's a way um, for Mary to gain some sort of power in another universe that hasn't really wanted her there in the first place. So in my research and in that paper that I mentioned a long time ago that I had to write, I look um, closely at um, the Gimpsu or disabled Mary Sue's uh, to see how they insert disability into non-disabled worlds. And I even found some queer Gimsus, Gimsus, which was really exciting to further look at how disability intersected and interacted with other marginalized identities. Um, and Gimsus finally have a platform to write their bodies and desires into circulation, op- opening up fandom to dis- disability issues as well. And then I, I talked to already quite a bit about um, Effie, the um Bella Swan Effie slash disabled fanfic um in Twilight but I also found another one that I write about in my paper where um Bella's autistic and the author in all of their accompanying author notes throughout the story also talks about that they're autistic and wanted to write an autistic Bella Uh, Which was really interesting because they rewrite the entire first Twilight novel from Bella's now autistic perspective. Wow. Um, And the story, instead of about it just being about finding out that, like, Edward's a vampire and that she wants to be with him, it becomes more about kind of, like finding how to tell Edward that she's autistic and then how they're going to decide being together after that. And it's cool too, because it, because also in, in, um, in Canon, Edward can't read Bella's thoughts and that's her superpower. So here it kind of makes sense why Edward can't read her thoughts because she's not neurotypical and it's hard for him to understand what she's thinking or feeling. So it becomes, like, much more, I think, to me, like, important, rather than, like, a supernatural element. And you kind of see them negotiating, like, you know, how to have conversations, (laughs) because Edward is, like, used to different, like, social cues or amounts of physical touching that Bella is okay with, or Bella's anxiety or her need for her routine and and things like that. And um, the story beyond that was really important because So many people went into the comment section to ask the author for more info about autism because they didn't really know about how it worked and then other people with autism also came in as commenters to help kind of contribute to the conversation to add to like how it you know their what their world is like um so that was like a really important instance for me with the the ginsu so it's actually like, a mean term, um, as GIMP is traditionally used, but now with other, you know, disabled advocates coming in, they're taking back words like GIMP or, like, crippled, um, like, the woman in my film who's just sitting by herself and being interviewed, her, her blog is like that crazy crippled chick, (laughs) so she's deriving power from these, you know, kind of, derogatory terms, and that's kind of what I wanted to give to the Gimpsu. I wanted to kind of, like, reclaim her and show that she does have a lot
0: to say. And outside of um, fanfic, I mean, are there any characters who embrace and accept their disability in kind of more mainstream narratives have you found that yet
1: this one was really hard for me to think about like uh, I don't know cuz I I guess I'd say like River Tam my narrator is really great because the entire show wouldn't exist without her and her disability is like what drives the entire plot um, And then I was watching Jessica Jones (laughs) recently as well. And she's actually like the first season is amazing. And she has PTSD and is an alcoholic and the intersections between trauma and substance abuse are treated really seriously and well. And I mean, disability in superhero universes isn't anything new, but it's like sometimes like mishandled. I would just love for someone to have like fibromyalgia or like chronic fatigue syndrome. In a film, though, I would say someone should write that for me.
0: Um, Do you feel like we're going to, like, we're working towards pop cultural narratives that kind of feature, again, like, even though disability hasn't featured in, like, mainstream narratives, as you were saying, like, these kind of more, um, or these invisible disabilities, like chronic fatigue. I mean, I hope so, because, like, I think
1: our lives are really interesting. Of course. Um, they're just as interesting as non-disabled people and like we can have you know romances too that are usually the center of <laughs> of filmmaking um, not that I want like them to always feature that but um, yeah I don't know I think people would just be interested in how like resourceful and creative we have to live our lives and you know find find value in that